slowly wave. Championship can only be won by one. And it's going to in 2021. Right. 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 With the sixth pick in the draft, the Detroit Red Wings select from Mannheim of the DEL, Moritz Seider. WXOU. My name is Benjamin. As always, I'm so glad you have joined us today. Happy Valentine's Day to all. I hope you are all feeling the love today. The Super Bowl is over, uh, and uh, there's a lot to talk about on that side of the ball. But of course, uh, we're going to start off with some NHL action for this week because uh, there's some interesting things, uh, especially when I've been paying attention to the Detroit Red Wings playoff chances, when last week I kind of felt that they're probably out, but uh, we'll talk about why that might be true. Before that, though, I must say, uh, the Arizona Coyotes have confirmed now their plans to move to Arizona State University and play in front of 5,000 fans in a home game, if they can sell that many tickets but uh, I am absolutely struck by this. I, I, you know, it was great for the memes at first, right? Um, but there's no way in my mind I would have ever thought that they'd go through with it and, and play, you know, they, they're making the excuse that it's just for a couple of years while they, you know, sort out a new arena deal uh, in Tempe. But I'm here to tell you, I don't care if they're playing there for one year, two years, or three years. An arena that has, you know, 15,000 fans is 5,000. Like, that is incredible. It, it When you think about the whole Barclays Center thing with the, the Islanders, right? It wasn't 5,000 fans, at least, or 5,000, you know, capacity. That is crazy to me. It is, I, I'm in full wonderment that they would go through, just move them. I get, last week, I gave so many reasons why they might as well just move the Yotes out of Arizona. They, they just give up. It, like, 5,000 people. And you think that's the best, you know, action to take. I, 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 I can't even believe that someone, you know, let alone the commissioner of the NHL, would be like, yeah, this is great. Good plan. Wrap it up, put a bow on it. That's crazy to me. I don't know. I, I still want them to move to Kansas City. I think that would be great, or Quebec even. I, I don't think another team in Canada would do very well, but I mean, it'd be better than a 5,000-fan arena. I mean, man. Anyway, so what I was talking about with Detroit. So the Red Wings are 22-21-6. and six. And don't get me wrong, tonight they are starting – the hardest stretch of their season. These next seven games are against uh, seven, uh, you know, seven teams that are in the top 11 in league scoring, right? You know, the one, two, and three, you know, like the Avs, the Hurricanes, and the Leafs, you know, right up there. Uh, you got the Penguins, you know, they're going to be great. Like, it's, it's going to be tough, you know. It, it's going to be a very tough, tough stretch of seven games here. And... I think it's important to go above 500 against these. You know, they're not going to win every single game. They're not. You know, Minnesota tonight. You know, you got Florida a couple times, Tampa Bay, uh, Toronto. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I, I don't see them winning every game, obviously, right? But if you can go above 500 these next seven games, it's 
big for not only the purpose of tracking down Boston for that final wild card spot, but big in the regards of uh, big in the regards of developmental confidence. You know, if you go above 500 these next seven games, it really puts a statement down that says, "Hey, we might not be there yet, but look out." because we're beating these top teams consistently. So I think that, you know, it's important to go their last 10, they're five, four and one, for example, if they went, you know, five, four and one in their next 10, uh, I'd say that's a win. You know, I, I think that's to be expected against some of these great, great teams. So why do I think they can track down Boston? So, Boston over their last 10 games are also five, four and one. And it may be a little unrealistic. It might be, but Boston is dealing with some inconsistent goaltending right now. They've always been this solid team, you know, since their, their contender days. Right. And, and even once Chara left, they've been consistent. They've been there, you know, in the mix, but they have an aging core. They have a very, very old core. And it's mixed with, you know, depth players that don't even want to be there, like DeBrusque, who, who want out of Boston, right? Bergeron's now injured for a little bit. Uh, I think it's listed day-to-day now, but he's missed a couple games. And they've, I think the other night they got absolutely wrecked by the Hurricanes. So their window has been closed for a while. This Boston team's not a team that is going to contend for a Stanley Cup. It's not. Uh, realistically, it really is not. And they've tried to revive it, you know, similar to the way Ken Holland did uh, better than the way Ken Holland handled it, but similar to the point where Boston doesn't really have much going for them. If you look at their depth chart right now, they don't have a lot. They're a team that's going to fall off pretty hard once they decide to fully rebuild, once they finally say, hey, Bergeron is too old. You know, we don't, we don't know what we're going to do to center the team around. DeBrusque doesn't want to be there. Their defense has not been very impressive with McAvoy, Grizzlick, and Carlo. I don't think they've been that good this year. Um, I think that uh, – and then Tuka Rask, when he tried to return, that went terribly for them. So uh, I think that they're, they're dealing with a war on multiple fronts right now because I don't think their defense is that great, and I know their goaltending has not been that great. So, and then you pair that with the fact that Bergeron's out and then Marshan got suspended for six games for just stupidity. I mean, and then he's, <laughs> uh, Matt, can we just talk about how Marshan sucker punches a goaltender, right? And then spears him with his stick, gets suspended, and then whines about it and says, oh, this, this is a suspension that's completely based on, on, you know, my past actions, you know, things I've done in the past. And it's like, yeah, that is what repeat offender means. And that's literally what they said when they gave you your suspension is you are a repeat offender. So you did it multiple times. You've done suspendable things multiple times. They're not surprised. And they're giving you more than just a slap on the wrist. You know, it's like, he, he just doesn't think he's such a talented player. He really is, but he just does not think. Sometimes he just puts his brain in a bucket and decides to let himself go. I got no, no excuses for, for, you know, whether or not, you know, he was intending to injure uh, Jari or not, you know, he, he did punch him, right? He sucker punched him. And then when he's trying to be separated from the ref, he's pushed away and then he spears him with his stick. Your stick is a weapon. I don't care if it was a love tap or not. They need to take, you know, control of the game and you, you got what you get just if you it, you wouldn't be suspended if you just want to done it you know if you would have focused on the skill that you have instead of you know your your ratness you know i don't i don't get it anyway so marshan's out for a while bergeron's out for a while uh, mcavoy hasn't been that good this year grizzly and carlo haven't uh they've had inconsistent goaltending debrusque doesn't want to be there he's requested a trade i think they're slipping I think they're slipping. I think there's cracks in it. And if they continue to fall off like this, they, they at most are a first round team. They make the playoffs. They're out in the first round. Uh, I, I don't see them going any further. I really don't. 
So at what point do they cut their losses and say, hey, we're not going to, you know, try for the playoffs? Because, I mean, even if you make the playoffs, if you're out in the first round, it doesn't really matter. That's, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs MO pretty much. So I think that these two teams are so similar offensively right now where uh, their top six is very stout, but their depth has been struggling. And for the Red Wings side of things, this year, the Red Wings have had, especially lately, have had no problem scoring. I mean, you remember the past couple of years, how they just could not score, and we'd all just be, you know, horrified by the amount of shutouts against us, you know, or it'd be, it'd be like 3-1 losses or 2-1 losses, games that we just could not score. And finally, you know, we're finding the consistency we have, you know, a couple of players finally that are, that are, you know, Larkin's over a point per game, Sider's leading rookies in assists, right? Raymond has a, a, a ton of points. Bertuzzi has a ton of points. And then you look at the one thing, the one pushback that I could see for the Red Wings, right? If you look at their player stats, you see like the top line is like, you know, plus seven, plus eight. And then you get to like Robbie Fabry, Philip Zadina, Philip Heronik, you know, and they're like minus 20, minus 25, right? We are still getting scored on so much, so much. It's not, it's laughable how the defense has just not solved itself. You know, obviously it's the last thing that I think Stevie is fixing, right? But it has been laughable. The amount of times, especially on the rush, where the wings leave players unguarded, just completely open, it's concerning. It, it's concerning how bad their, their counter defense is. After on a quick turnover, you can see right away that uh, when it switches the opposite way, they panic and they miss coverages and it hangs out Nadelkovich or Grice or Picard if he happens to be in. It hangs them out to dry. And there's nothing they can do. You know, and Ned has been spectacular this year but he can't you know win every game you know so that being said though I have never seen the Red Wings in the past four years one of my biggest complaints have been the fact that they cannot forecheck at all their forecheck is disorganized it's horrible they don't know when to dump the puck right this past week against Philadelphia the two games against Philadelphia they were tremendous they, it was the best forecheck I've seen from the Red Wings in four plus years. The it was every time they were in on it, they were pressuring the Flyers' defense so much, and they were causing so many chances off of the forecheck. It was amazing. It was it was truly great. And with the Zadina on that top line, he fits in perfectly. He got a goal, you know, in his second game on that top line. He finds the open space because Larkin creates so much open space with his speed. It's perfect having Zadina there, right? And their forecheck, especially with the Gulf Storm line, with, you know, Fabry, Suter, and uh, Bertuzzi, it has been tremendous. They they add the chemistry. They forecheck perfectly. Uh, even, even Big Rass, Rasmussen's been great on the forecheck in these past two games. So if they carry that in the next seven games, they ride the wave. They find some wins. They could track down Boston, who are only nine points in front of them right now. They have a couple of games in hand, but, you know, or seven points in front, but they have a couple of games in hand. But they are not in a position right now where they will hands down win every game. You know, like I said, the Bruins are 5-4-1 and one in their past 10, just like the Wings. If the Wings find a way to improve that, you know, find a way to, you know, go seven and three in their next 10 games, then they can track down Boston. It's not out of the picture. You have to remember too, that Jacob Vrana is close. We saw Troy Stetcher return uh, against Philadelphia. And now I think Vrana and Letty, Letty's back tonight and Vrana is close. And once Vrana comes back, the top six, you know, you, you've got to put Vrana, I'd assume on the top line, which Stinks for Zadina, who'd be moved down to the third line, I'd presume. But uh, there's a lot of ideas. It gives you 
some creativity that I think you can do. You know, Valeno maybe pair him with Verona to get his offensive going because, in my opinion, Valeno has been a little underwhelming. But I think if you could get him going, get his confidence going, I think he could go off. I, I think there's a couple of things that this team can do once Verona comes back, and I think they can catch Boston. It's certainly, certainly not out of the question. Uh, it's unlikely if they don't clean up their, you know, defensive zone, but it was better, you know, the past two games. But if they can get a little bit more consistent on defense, they don't have those moments where we're looking at the TV and we're going, how do you not see that guy wide open, you know? And, and by the way, I, I mean, I'm sure it's much easier from the TV to point out when someone's wide open than it is on the ice, but still, I've never seen, I've never seen it so often for a team. You know, the Red Wings just, I've never seen a team find a way to let someone be so wide open in the defensive zone so often. But maybe the Leafs, I guess. I, I watched some Leafs games, and, and for how good their defense is, sometimes they just leave people wide, wide open. But I think it's possible to catch the Bruins. Uh, I think it might be a little unlikely, but if the Bruins slip up a little bit and the Red Wings continue to put pressure on and beat good teams, again, it starts with these seven games. These seven games right here are are really important because it's against, you know, seven playoff teams, seven great teams right in a row. And if you can, you know, beat the majority of them, I think there's not only a good chance they ride the momentum from that and catch Boston, but I think there's a good chance by the by the end of those seven games they could be neck and neck with Boston. So anyway, so I think it's time to jump over to uh, the Super Bowl, and for me this was uh, great leading up to it. I mean, we we talked the past couple of weeks. We saw uh, the best game uh, ever in the playoffs for me: Kansas City Bills. You know. And we saw we were treated to a great playoffs for the NFL, and it all led us here to this game. And I don't know what it was, but uh, everything around this game, and we were talking about it before the show, was just a little bit, you know, numb, a little anticlimactic uh, when everything was said and done. I felt like the game was over really quick. Uh, I felt like the halftime show was over really quick, and I feel like. There was a lot, a lot, a lot of narratives coming into it that really were just like, meh. It was exactly what I said last week, actually, is that, you know, there are two ways that I saw it going. Either a complete blowout, you know, the Rams blow them out, right? Or a close game that the Rams win. I saw the Rams winning regardless. But anyway, to talk about it once again, uh, welcome back on, William. It's uh, good to talk to you again. Good to have you. And you were saying that the Super Bowl was a, a bit, you know, you, you didn't you didn't care for it much. So uh, what's on your mind before we get into it? Uh, I guess it it got me a little bit um, down. I guess when I heard about the news of Aaron Donald likely retiring if he wins the championship, I was like, man, this is they actually it's around. They're actually gonna win this, and actually I was right. I was like, yeah, I kind of knew that was going to happen. I think he kind of hyped it up for no apparent reason, making it known that they are going to win it. So so I just – and also I thought that the end with the fourth down, I think most people didn't even know it was fourth down at first, but it didn't feel like it was fourth down. It felt like it was still like they still have the ball somewhere until it's like game is over and stuff. And it's like, oh, wow, okay, they they won. Uh so I just, I just thought that the ending was climatic. I thought the news about where Aaron Donald's, uh, quote unquote retirement if he wins the championship, yeah. And also, I also I felt like there was not really much like hype around it. There was a few little, uh, you know, like injuries what happened, and also there was some touchdowns and stuff. And I think the most, the best play in there was the block, the block extra point. But I thought it was a little bit lackluster, my thing. Yeah, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, I mean, a lot of people with where we are kind of assumed that, you know, I was like, I, I wanted the Rams to win because of Matt Stafford. And and while I, I did want the Rams to win because of Matt Stafford, I also wanted the Bengals to win because of Joe Burrow, you know. And, and 
in the same sense, uh, I wanted both these teams to win. I, I liked them both a lot. Um, I don't mind the way it played out, uh, you know, 23-20 win. Uh, kept it close. It was kind of, you know, thrilling. There was a lot of – it was a defensive game. And, and I, I do want to say that uh, the when the Super Bowl was set, I was talking to my dad, and he's like, it's going to be a defensive game. He So he knew it was going to be a defensive game. And um, it shouldn't have been. You know, the, the thing that I, I come back to is that, you know, the Rams could have easily lost this game, first of all. They, yeah. they they mismanaged this game, I feel, you know, very much. The defense carried them, and the defense was tremendous, as I knew they would be. But their offense went into a shell, and a lot of that is because of their insistence on the run game. It looked like the Detroit Lions run game and how they consistently try to run. And they, they you know, let's – I just can't believe that they just continue to try to run it when they have one of the best throwing quarterbacks in the league and he's in the Super Bowl. And I'm sure he, he had a ton of confidence to be able to throw the ball. So I, I don't get what their insistence on, on trying to run. Uh, but obviously I, I knew after the first drive, the first couple of drives, the defense was going to be key. You know, when I think the Rams went three and out to start and then the Bengals went like three and out to start. And then, the Rams scored a quick one. The Bengals scored a field goal. Yeah. And uh, Stafford, by the way, had two interceptions, though, when he was throwing. One of them was not his fault at all. One of them was just, you know, like a the receiver, the one who was in for Higby, uh, just kind of rodeoed the ball into the air, and it was yeah. easy interception. Uh, other one was right in the end zone. Yeah, was right in the end zone. Not, not a good interception. But, yeah. but at the same time, he – Threw two touch or three touchdowns, so positive on on the day at least. Three touchdowns, two interceptions, almost three hundred yards. But I was so surprised by such a conservative strategy from McVeigh. It, it baffled me actually because coming into the game, and I, I said it uh, two weeks ago, that the Rams are clearly on paper the better team in every statistical and analytical category they are the better team i i have no idea why they went in so conservative uh, it they kept trying to run it they forced it you know they 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 didn't go for it on plays where i'd have you know like four and one like in the first quarter i, I just assumed they'd go for that because it's you know but they played it conservative and you know, ultimately it worked out but they almost got stunk you know they they got uh, bailed out by their defense for certain and uh I don't think depending on the D was that good of an idea, but uh, I think if you if you do look at the ending stats of this game, you can see, like, Cup had almost 100 yards on eight catches, right? Everyone else, you know, like Odell, Henderson, Jefferson, Bryson Hopkins, you know, targeted four or less times. They really did not throw the ball that much. In fact, they didn't have a lot of offensive plays in general because they, their insistence on the run game led to a lot of three and outs. And they could have opened, you know, opened up the scoring. They could have scored a lot more. Uh, obviously, there was, you know, Odell tears his ACL, right? And I think everyone knew he tore his ACL as soon as it happened. Non-contact injury like that where you're grabbing at your knee. I kind of assumed he tore his ACL. And unfortunate for him especially after catching the first touchdown of the game. I thought he was going to have a great game, but I think that killed all the momentum the Rams had because you saw their offense go into a complete, complete shell right after that. And I was worried. I thought they'd lost the momentum. And then at that point, I kind of figured, man, if they do want to start, if they get go down in this game and they want to air it out, I don't think they're going to be able to air it out because who's he going to go to now? Higby's out. Odell's out, you know he's going to go to Cup. You know, you, you still have Van Jefferson, yeah, and but and you still have Henderson, but I was worried. I, I was worried because I didn't know if they'd be able to bail themselves out if they got out. So the defense did its job, though. Uh, I predicted, you know, that Burrow would be on the turf a lot, and he was. Seven sacks. They had eight tackles for a loss. Um Ramsey was on Jamar Chase most of the game, as I assumed, but he, you know, got burned, you know, just like he got burned once 
two weeks ago, he got burned this week, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the second time he got burned is kind of what, what's eating at me is that he really didn't. You know, that's that's that play that was clear offensive pass interference, you know, and I I was a bit surprised it went uncalled. You know, he, he grabbed his he grabbed his head, he grabbed his face mask and threw him down uh, on the play. Uh, it was like third and whatever, and uh, Ramsey on uh, – who was it? Was it uh, T. Higgins? I think it might have been Higgins. I, I think yeah, it was Higgins, 85. Yeah, it was Higgins. Yep, it was Higgins. And he grabbed his face mask and threw him to the turf. And I think nine out of ten times that's called. Yeah, I don't know. I think he was just I – know, I know he was leaping the air. I think he just played a ball in his hand sort of – Sort of was right there on his mask. I think, I think it was sort of like Larry's to get up there, but he was up there, and then the other hand was on the face mask. So I kind of get it, but I don't know. Re- referees always miss calls. Like they also missed that other call when Donald pushed Burrow in the back when he w- went down. It's like no calling that. He hit him. The, he pushed him in the back. I was like, so you didn't call for that one, but I know you didn't call for that one, but you don't call the other, other uh penalty, clear penalty. But, yeah, it was some penalties that the refs were missing in this game. I think for the most part they swallowed their whistles, too. Yeah. Because there, uh, there was a large chunk of this game where there just weren't any penalties. I remember there was a delay of game penalty uh, pretty early on. But then yeah. other than that, there really just weren't any penalties. So, uh, very disciplined game from both of both the teams. Um, a couple of things that, you know, could have been called that are heat-of-the-moment plays. But, uh, yeah, I mean – Aaron Donald obviously had a great game for the Rams defense. He had, he had the two biggest, biggest sacks, you know, biggest tackles even of, of the game where uh, that third down situation where he got to Burrow and then to end the game and get, get the ball back, the tackle where Burrow just threw it up, hoping for the best. Uh, Burrow, though, I mean, he had a touchdown, 260 yards, similar stats to, to Matt Stafford, but and their run game was a little more active. And that's the reason where I thought the Bengals were going to win this. You know, when they when they were up uh, with less than two minutes to go, I thought the Bengals were going to win this. Yeah. And I even I I wanted to be said that like at the start of the fourth quarter, I tweeted out I was like, wow, the Bengals are really going to win this, right? Because I was I was positive that they had it. They were, I thought they were playing better in the second half. I was like, I think they have the momentum. I think that without Odell. The Rams are, are kind of in wonderment right now. They're kind of in shock and awe, and I jinxed them. So, uh, hate for that, but T. Higgins had, uh, had a standout, two touchdowns, 100 yards. The really cool trick play with Joe Mixon uh, yeah, for the touchdown. Yeah, do it. yeah, that was that was an interesting one. Uh, yeah. I liked it. You know, they're bringing the cats out of the bag. but And then, and then a player that wasn't uniform came out, and it was called penalty. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's – okay, that was undisciplined. I'll, I'll say that was that was one of the moments of un, undisciplinary action. But, yeah, other than that, but – and then Jamar Chase, uh, only five targets. Only five targets for Chase. 90 yards, though, he had that one huge play. Um, Jesse Bates had one interception for him. Uh, Awuzie had an interception too, had the other one. So, uh, they had two sacks and one pretty early in the game. And when I, when they sacked Stafford early in the game, I'm like, man, man, no, because it's going to be the opposite of what I, what I thought. But one thing that the Bengals defense did do, uh, they had nine tackles for a loss. And that's a lot more on the play calling from the Rams because, they just were insistent on the run game. And like nine times you were tackled for a loss. And if they weren't tackled for a loss, it was like a one or two yard game. So it was a bit frustrating to see them continue to go to the run game. But at the end of the game, uh, the Rams scored with what? A minute 30 left pretty much. Right? Yeah. A minute, th- yeah, a minute 30 left. And then they marched, the Bengals marched, tried marching down the field. They got to like half the half yard line, you know, 50 yard line. And um, then stalled. They weren't able to get McPherson into position. As uh, I thought, honestly, I was like, let him kick it from the 70 yard line. He might make it, but, yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately they couldn't get into it. They just couldn't answer, you know, it became a defensive battle. And at, in a way, when you look at the Bengals D and the Rams D, uh, there's one defense that's clearly better than the other. And it's the Rams. Uh, 
night and day. I mean, they just had so, so many weapons. So many weapons. And, and the Bengals made it close and even could have won it. Like I said, they really could have won this game. but And they would have stunned a lot of people. But uh, even the Rams, you know, they didn't, they didn't play a spectacular game. But the Rams or the Bengals just weren't able to to match the defensive power. And, and once they scored late, you know, and also, you know, that hit that hit on Cooper Cup late in that game um, where he got right before the touchdown where he got crunched. Yeah, I really thought he was concussed. He stayed down for a minute and I'm a bit surprised he didn't even go into protocol because you could tell he got crunched pretty hard in his head. You know, hit hit another helmet and then hit the ground. I thought he was uh, dazed and confused to be certain. Yeah, that's so too. I think too that even though it was a little anticlimactic at the ending, I think you were saying what it was was predictable. You know, it it really was a very predictable Super Bowl. Uh, I don't want to take away from some of the you know storylines and the action in it, right? But I think it was pretty predictable. I, I think. If the if the Bengals win, it's like wow they they denied everyone what everyone thought was certain, yeah. and then the Rams win, and you're like, oh yep they won. You know while while a lot of people, especially in Detroit, uh, are parading right now, and they might even be trying to plan a parade in downtown Detroit for this win, uh, with all the T-shirts that say the Detroit Rams and whatever. But you know, it is in a way pleasant. And I'll say it because Stafford gave us a lot of good years. And I don't even want to think about how the years would have been if it was not Stafford, right? If we had a worse quarterback, it would have been much worse. And he requests a trade. And the following season, when he gets traded, wins the Super Bowl. So, you know, I probably would have had a lot worse of a taste in my mouth if he would have left and not done anything. But he proves in the first year away from Detroit that he's legit, you know. So uh, I'm happy with it. You know, there's a lot of storylines, too, that, you know, you could keep up with. If the Bengals would have won, there would have been some great storylines, too. But, I mean, you look at Weddle, who came out of retirement, wins the Super Bowl. Aaron Donald finally gets his ring, you know. And I think the pictures that, you know, that the cameras picked up of him pointing to his finger, you know, like that's those are going to be all-time, like, great photographs in the NFL and uh, Odell gets traded to the Rams. Right. And and everyone's kind of like, he's an outcast. He's washed. You know, he's not going to resurrect his career. And he did. Um, Unfortunately, obviously now he's got a torn ACL and that's a really long, long road to recovery, especially for a free agent. And uh, I don't know. Someone will take him. You know someone, he's not done. He wants to come back. But with the Torre ACL, oh, man, as a free agent, that's not great. But also, you look at it, McVay, Super Bowl winning, youngest Super Bowl coach, you know, right? Super Bowl winning coach. Cooper Cup, you know, his whole story that, you know, that everyone's talked about for the last couple of weeks from going, you know, in high school, had no scholarship offers right out of high school. You know, got finally got one after his last game of high school football, uh, someplace in Washington, I think, right? Hey, Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington, right? Some, some school were, uh, that wasn't the greatest, you know, and, and obviously there were no plans to play him that much. Quickly becomes the start, you know, the number one wide out there, right? And then he comes, you know, he gets drafted low, probably going to be like a fourth wide receiver, right? Yeah, and then quickly becomes the first wide receiver, and it's just his story is great. And then Stafford, obviously, you know the one that's most followed by people. You know, going from the prison that is Detroit Lions football to winning a Super Bowl the next year. I mean, that it's got to be a great feeling. You know, all of these stories coming together, uh, a feel good, feel good game to be certain. But was it a good game? All in all, like if you were asked yes or no, good game, right off the bat, what would you say? Well, I don't know. I don't say there was a good game, but I think it was, I guess, a decent game that I would say would be like Super Bowl worthy. But I think 
to me, I think it would have went to overtime somewhat at the end. I think it would have been took to a next level. But, like, compared to other games we saw in the past, like, I think the best game, uh, the last best game we ever got in was, I think it was the Eagles. No, no, no. It was the Chiefs and 49ers. I thought that was the last best game we had in a while. But not really on par with that game. It was really a decent game that came down to uh, – to, who's going to get the first down. And, and for me, too, I mean, the, the commercials for the Super Bowl weren't even that great. But uh, I, I enjoyed the game. I, I agree with you. I think it was decent. But the whole narrative, if you take that Kansas City versus Bills game, right, if that was the Super Bowl, that would have been the best Super Bowl of all time because I already think that was the best playoff game of all time. Yeah. So uh, if you clump that in there, I think it could easily be, you know, the best – Super Bowl of all time, but uh, what we got, you know, the two stories coming out of it, you know, the Bengals coming from the AFC and, and defying a lot of people, and then, the you know, the Rams, you know, getting over the hump, you know, beating the Bucks. right? I think that it was a good storyline, you know, kind of like a book, but kind of like a book with a, you know, anticlimactic ending or a predictable ending, I guess is a better, you know, word for it, so... Outside of the Super Bowl, though, so Aaron Rodgers wins the league MVP. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's deserved? Or do you think yeah. there's anyone in the league that deserved it a little more? Well, most people would say it's Cooper Cup, but he wants, he wants a, a Super Bowl MVP. But I think Rodgers, Rodgers deserves it. He basically was the best player player in that, uh, that season. It's just that it's more so of a regular season than playoffs. So I, I'm one of those people who thinks that it probably should have been Cooper Cup. But at the same time, I understand that it, it was Rodgers. Um, where do you think he goes? I know we talked about it a, a little bit, but um, there were some trade rumors with uh, the Titans, right? Mm-hmm. And the Titans pretty much came out and said, no, we're sticking with Tannehill. And, you know, the Bucks were actually interested in, in Tannehill as well. They were asking questions and then um, – Titans pretty much said, no, we're, we're sticking with Tannehill. So Rodgers, you know, to Denver, for example, right? Do you think that's likely? Yeah, because I remember talking about that. They brought in a, uh, for their head coach was the uh, OC of the, uh, of the Green Bay Packers. So they have connections with that. And plus, I think from Broncos history, but like, like Peyton Manning, like bringing in quarterbacks that that was great in like one one uh franchise and another franchise, like they was able, they're still like good, and still and also they always bring like veteran quarterbacks to do that. So I think that with Aaron Rodgers, it's likely the only thing I would just say that probably might be a not so likely thing about being in Denver is the weather sometimes. <laughs> and I just think that maybe if Aaron Rodgers is thinking about it, going to somewhere that is like, I guess with his girlfriend that is like good weather, warm weather, both sleep and, and chop. Tom Brady wrote, just go to Tampa Bay. Yeah. Or, or he can, or he can land to, uh, or land to San Fran or something like that. Yeah. Uh, like somewhere like Florida or California. I don't know where he's going to go, but uh, the NFL, some NFL insiders, you know, and scouts believe that uh, it's a steep price. You know, mm-hmm. I think what's lost in all of it is where will Rodgers land up, right? Mm-hmm. What I really wonder is what is a team willing to give up for him, right? You look at yeah. a team like Denver, and, and they'd give up a lot. You know, you they multiple first-round picks for sure, right? That that's a that's a given, right? Mm-hmm. So it'd be something like multiple first round picks, you know. And if it's the the Denver Broncos, you know, you're looking at probably losing someone like Cortland Sutton, I'd say, and multiple firsts. It, I don't know if it would be worth it. I, I know. know. I don't know. They I, to me, I would just give them like one of their QBs because I think Jordan Love's gonna definitely be the starter. Just give him a right. backup QB, multiple draft picks. But if that doesn't work, then yeah, maybe Carlin Sutton or some star player because that's what 
that's why I keep on saying I hate him with this uh with the Russell Wilson trace. It's like so you're gonna give up almost half half the team for Russell Wilson though, like half of like your best quality players for Russell Wilson. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers, they gave him a big time contract. Not now you're gonna give up a lot. Probably you're not gonna give like chips and bags for him, like like what uh the Texans did for like DeAndre Hopkins. Right. So it's like you you gotta get what you like much quality as you can get from a guy like Aaron Rodgers. So yeah, I kind of agree with Broncos. They're not. I don't know how much they can get for him. And also, you got Deion, Devontae Adams' likelihood probably going uh, in free agency. But I think what's likely, I think they're going to franchise tag him. And then maybe if they came up with money, then they're probably going to trade him too. So with the, maybe Devontae Adams also out there too. And he's going to ask for a big-time contract as well. So it's like, I, I don't know how the Broncos going to do it, but I guess we'll see what happens in offseason. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're the Broncos, it's or any team, right? I, I think that it, it's so many people forget that, you know, this isn't a free agent signing. You're going to give up a lot for Aaron Rodgers. You're going to give up a, a lot for these players. And is it worth it is always always the question I come back to. Because if you give up half your team and you don't have, like, you give up all your defense, you give up, you know, offensive pieces that you need that, Green Bay would likely be asking for, right? And and you give up a lot of picks. For a team like Denver that is kind of in a rebuild, kind of like in between, right? You give up futures, right? So you lose a lot of first round picks. You lose a lot of draft capital. You probably lose a player, but you get a quarterback that's amazing. But how will it be enough? Because if you don't win a Super Bowl in one, two years, three years, right? Then people start looking at it like, hey, like maybe you made a mistake. And, and my dad always has a, like a, a saying, like when I'd always, when I ask him about trades, you know, you do not need a tremendous, uh, all star, perfect quarterback to win the Super Bowl. You need a serviceable quarterback, a quarterback that's not a liability, a quarterback that's just stout, right? Yeah. That's all you need to get to the Super Bowl. And once you're in the Super Bowl, anything can happen. Yeah. And, I just think that teams like Denver, teams like the Bucks, especially, you know, they really don't need to go all out on a quarterback because they have the other pieces or some other pieces. In Denver, it's a little more questionable, right? The mm-hmm. Bucks not so much questionable. But when you look at it, do you really want to give up futures? You know, do you really want to give up a player? Do you want to give up so many first-round picks? And like you were saying for Russell Wilson, for example, you know, insiders believe that that's going to be at least two first-round picks and a player for him. Are you really willing to take a chance on that? And Aaron Rodgers, by the way, is 38 years old. Same age that Brett Favre was when he got traded. And uh, when Brett Favre got traded to the Jets, the Jets still didn't do too hot. So I just don't know if you look at the history of things. And, and obviously, Rodgers is not Favre. I think Rodgers is an all-time great quarterback it's but still in his prime still right pretty good but i don't know i i could not i couldn't give you an honest answer this is why i'm not an nfl gm right it's because there's no shot that i would be able to say you know yeah i'll give up three first round picks a player and a, a young player for aaron Rodgers and hope for the best i i don't know i i just i don't know if it would be worth it but anyway Tannehill too Another quarterback that might be on the move, right? Yeah. The Titans have said, the Tennessee Titans are like, no, we don't want to move him, you know. And and Derrick Henry kind of came out and he's like, you know, it's not like everyone always looks for a scapegoat in this situation, right? You know, when a, when a team doesn't do as well. Uh, quite frankly, I was surprised that they were still on top of the AFC when all was said and done with everything that happened. But um, even if they make it a little further, they beat the Bengals, you know, they go on to the next round. Well, I don't know if they beat the Chiefs. You know, I, I don't know if they – and if they do, I don't know if they beat the Rams. I, I don't think they do. And I don't know if Tannehill's their guy. I don't know if Tannehill's couldn't be a guy with, with any team. I like him, and I think that he, he's one of those serviceable guys. But he's got no one to throw to. So I think it's a little un, unfair to, you know, say Derrick Henry could have done it all because, it was, you know, who, who can they throw to on their team? Uh, yeah, I just I just thought that with 
the Titans, it's mostly that I think you got to look to, like, the offensive coordinator. I think that the OC is basically the guy that – the guy that mainly was the issue. I think Ryan Tannehill getting too much flex for what he did because, yeah, he made some crucial, like, interceptions and another interception that ultimately uh, cost him the game. But I just feel like you got A.J. Brown. I think A.J. Brown probably was hurt or probably wasn't 100%. And Julio Jones is not the same player from the days in Atlanta. So I just think that they should keep Ryan Tannehill, maybe try to give him some, like, weapons, some more weapons, maybe a, a big reliant tight end. And, you know, also try to keep their backup running back foreman with Henry. And it also – maybe bulk that offensive line a little bit. And basically, I think that uh, that offense is pretty good because Rabel became head coach of the year. So saying that, with what he was able to do with no Derrick Henry and uh, not really like most injured uh, guys on that squad, that he was able to take them to number one spot. So if they're just able to get more pieces to to, uh, drag with Ryan Tannehill, I think they will go far. I agree. I think they're missing some, you know, wide receivers. But other than that, I mean, they clearly have a good run game because they have best running back in the, the league when he's healthy. So I, I, I always wonder, I think about this past season, if he was healthy for the whole season, just how many yards he would have gotten, you know, like he was on a tear. But So also Tom Brady, you know, he's been retired for, what, a week, and he pretty much has said that, you know, in the future, he might be open to coming back, you know, and I, I think it would be interesting, you know, to speculate what team, maybe he will go to Detroit and be all like, you know what, my last chance, you know, I, I couldn't sleep at night because nice. all the, all the memes saying that I'm not a true champion until nice. I went to Detroit. It's not, no, it's not, it's not Detroit. You know, I, think so. th- I think it's going to be the team you grew up watching, San Francisco. That's why I heard. Oh, man, I don't want San Francisco to be good. Well, I mean, if he comes out of, if he comes out of retirement, well, though, I, well, yeah. well, it's just that. It kind of because to me the only thing I can think of connection with Detroit with the Lions is that he played with Michigan, Michigan. with the Wolverine. Yeah. But I think the 49ers, when you grow up watching Joe Montana and watching the catch, I feel like he has too much like deep connections to that instead of with uh, Michigan and the city of Michigan and the college uh, with the Wolverines. That's my opinion. Yeah. Uh- I don't think he, obviously I don't even think he's going to come out of retirement if I'm being yeah. honest. But so lastly, before we end things here, I, I want to talk about the Lions, right? So everything goes perfect in the M- NFC North, right? Rogers is out, right? And I know I know you have a Bears hat on right now, uh, and I know you love the Bears, but the Lions could turn things around quick. And, and and hear me out. I'm not saying they could be better than the Bears, but I think they could very much be. I think they, uh, you know, I really do think they have a chance. So they have two first-round picks in this draft, right? Mm-hmm. And they have a second overall pick, who could very much end up being Hutchinson from Michigan, right? That could fix some defensive woes that they've had. Yeah, that could that could button some things up for them, right? And then in the later rounds, maybe you find someone to compliment, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, who kind of emerged as a number one wideout, right? Oh, well, they have they have another guy. Yeah, yeah, I think his game is Reynolds. Yeah, they, yeah, they yeah, got yeah, they picked too. him up as a free agent, you yeah. know, in the middle of like the right before the Thanksgiving game, and then he caught the first touchdown of the game. I was at that game. That was yeah. awesome. But so I, you know, someone a real stud, you know, they yeah. find it in the later rounds. They 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 boast, you know, better wide receivers, right? They have the second, the thirty second, and the thirty fourth to open things up. And that's when you start to wonder, there are, they're not some, the quarterback group is not tremendous this, this year. Right. But you, you have a guy like Kenny Pickett, who is probably the best quarterback in the draft out of Pitt. And then you have Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati. Right. And one of those two quarterbacks could very well be available, obviously at two, at 32 and 34, you're probably looking at, you know, Desmond Ritter because Kenny Pickett is probably going to a team uh, in the earlier rounds if the yeah. Lions don't take him. But I think you have to go defensive first because, as everyone has said, the I think the last thing you get during this rebuild is a quarterback. Yeah, because I think, 
yeah, because I think first you get the first pick, you get the best player from the from uh, that draft, and then the following picks. I don't know. Like Alliance can do either way. They could either probably trade trade that pick for multiple picks, and then they could have they could find some more options, or or they can just stick with uh, finding you know first the best player. Then after that, yeah, like you said, a receiver, or they could maybe find maybe a a guy to also help out with the secondary because I think the secondary needs the most help. I forgot what uh, because they have one corner guy that broke out. But then they need another one to, to come compensate with him as the other side of the uh, of the field, and then also I think the last pick they probably maybe a quarterback to uh, to compete with Jared Goff right. to see maybe he might have potential to beat the guy who plays golf or somebody that can that can probably learn under Jared Goff and probably be probably be the next guy the future probably when Jared Goff is a uh, if they trade Jared Goff or probably Jared Goff probably calls it a career. So it's just some of it because they can go either which way in the draft. But I think the first overall pick is no brand. You find the best player in the draft. Yeah. I, I think you go, you know, with best available at two. And yeah. I think that really will be Hutchinson from Michigan. I hope, I don't think that he'll be taken first overall, but I'll say that I think they have the, potential to turn things around quick because I think Jared Goff is, as I said earlier, serviceable. He's obviously not a breakout star. He's not a stud, but he's serviceable. And if you find, you know, one or two more guys you can throw the ball to, then I think, I don't think I know for a fact they can contend for the NFC North if Aaron Rodgers leaves. But if Aaron Rodgers does not leave and he's still with the Packers, it's a no-brainer that the Packers are going to once again win the NFC North. So uh, I think they have the potential to turn things around. And when I say they could win the NFC North, right, I'm not saying I think they could be good, (laughs) which is, is kind of bad. You know, I'm saying they could win the NFC North. I'm not saying they're going to be a great team because they're not, you know, and if they do win the NFC North, I mean, obviously anything can happen in the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to be good for another number of years yet. And while I think they could make the playoffs and, gain some confidence around the team. And I think the biggest thing, you know, a team can have is momentum and confidence. Uh, and we saw that with the Bengals, right? They're not a, a tremendous team on paper, but, you know, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and uh, Uzama and Boyd, all those guys, you know, were riding momentum. So I, I think, like, I'm not saying they can go to the Super Bowl next year. Please don't take it as that because they can't. No, you're not in that. <laughs> you didn't? Yeah, okay, good. Uh Anyway, so that's going to be it for this one, everyone. If you liked it, tune in next week. Follow me on Twitter at TWW Sports. Let's gather back once again next week and do this all again.